Okay, so guys, welcome back to the Humanity Jitsu Podcast. And guys, we've reached a very, very important milestone today. It's episode 69. And I couldn't think of anyone better to get on with than <laughs> You all know him. You all love him. And this guy has fought in more fucking grappling events than you can even think of. Polaris, he's fought at it. ADCC, he's fought at it. Fucking Kasai and EBI. Guess what? Hold your breath. He's fought at it. Who's I actually it? haven't done Kasai, but... What's the oh, really? Well, yeah, I, I did. I did quintet. I think quintet's oh. cooler than Kasai anyway. So, yeah. What's the dealio with Kasai anyhow? Uh, I don't know. I'm hopefully, hopefully, I'll be able to get on there when uh, when all of these shows are back up and running. It does look like a very cool show. Mm. Ah, but see, I actually have a good workaround for how you can have like uh, two high level grapplers fight each other without the whole Rona restrictions if you're up for it. Yeah, go so, on. Say, yeah, say you wanted to fight like uh, Ash Williams, for example, right? Yep. Just roll off outside his house and call him out. <laughs> That's it, I know, I know. There's, there, I think there's lots of ways around it. We could say that it was a business meeting. We could say it was a protest. There's lots of ways for us to get around it, I think. Oh, dude, I've, I keep saying <laughs> this to people. that it, Just say, if you're training, it's a protest. It's like, great. There you go, there you go. But I think, like, they're very picky. I think you have, if they say, what are you protesting? So you have to come up with, like, the right answer. Because if you're, like, protesting one thing, they say, oh, fuck yourself. But if you're protesting yeah. another, like, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. Know. You, know, you know how people are. Uh, so, Daniel, one thing I'm curious about with each of my guests is where you're from. Uh, sorry, nah. Everyone knows where you're from and where you train, but how did you first get into jiu-jitsu? Did you train anything else before you started? Sure. Uh, yeah, so I um, I got into jiu-jitsu around about, about 14, 15 years old. Um, I'd, like, messed around with a couple of different martial arts or quite a few different martial arts beforehand. I was, like, interested in doing martial arts but never really found anything that stuck. And um, I rocked up at a – it was actually a – traditional jiu-jitsu academy and was training there for about six months it was all right you know I, I enjoyed it a little bit but you know it didn't really grab me and then one day the main instructor left and the other instructor took over who happened to be a uh jiu-jitsu blue belt at the time and who is my current instructor nick brooks and the rest is history that's how i got into it uh i, I like that you put a big emphasis on the word grabbing and gripping because guys, everything coincidentally coincidentally he actually has a grip training program up. And uh, what website is he hosting? It's, it's too early to plug that. It's on, it's on raspberry.com, but we can plug ah, that later. It's too early to plug that now. We've got, we've got, we've got to pull him in a little bit closer before we can start selling stuff. That's eight strong, 25 or 25% <laughs> off at checkout. Only for another week. Uh, shameless plug, but, man, if anyone knows you and your grip strength, like, yeah. that's something worth fucking uh, investing in and being all like, Oh, maybe I will purchase this instructional. It'll be like, get my fucking killer grips. Yeah, well, you know, the, the thing is, I, I've been training my grip for probably about, you know, over 10 years now. And it's something that I've been known for. And I get a lot of questions. I get weekly questions, people messaging me. How can I get into grip training? What's the best exercises for grip training? Blah, 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 blah. So I thought instead of me answering all of these people individually, I can actually put together a product that is going to comprehensively uh, in a lot a lot more comprehensive way than me typing out a short response but very comprehensively give all of the information that I can or or, or at least the basic level of information that I can uh, for anyone looking to get stronger hands wrists forearms biceps uh, and not only that I think a lot of people they think oh my my grips are already super strong I've been training jiu-jitsu for loads of years and I don't have a problem with my grips but a lot of people have injuries in their wrists or injuries in their elbows or fingers and I include a lot of stuff that uh, is going to rehab injuries or prevent injuries in the future. So it's not just about being stronger on the mat, but also being able to roll on the mats a lot healthier and a lot less pain-free, a lot more pain-free. 
Yeah. I see. Now, one curious sort of, uh, I don't know how to put this factoid about this whole arrangement. It's yeah. just, you don't, do you not train in the gi that much? Like, or. Yeah. 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 No, you're right. I, I, um, I don't train in the gi. I definitely haven't put the gi on this year. Uh, but that isn't saying much because we've barely been training this year. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I put the gi on probably under 10 or 15 times since I got my black belt, which was six years ago. So yeah, I don't, I don't train in the gi. Oh man, that would be that would make some people think like grip training in no gi. What the fuck, you know? But man, even the no, shit yeah. is definitely transferable to gi. Because have you ever trained a fucking judo guy? Their fucking grips, like Jesus fuck, man. Oh my god. Yeah, totally. But I think that's like a really common misconception, which is when people train no gi, they think that there's no grips. I'd actually argue that having a strong grip is more important no gi than it is in the gi. In the gi, it's easy to grip. Uh, and in no gi, it's hard to grip, which means that, that having the, that strength um, advantage over your opponent when it comes to gripping is really important. But there's different types of grip. The sort of gripping that you're going to use no gi and the grip, sort of gripping that you're going to use in the gi uh, are very different, which I talk about on this instructional video. Uh, for example, you know, being able to hold onto a lapel, you're going to need this closed hand support strength. You're going to need very, very strong at being able to keep that hand closed, whereas you're never going to use this on the uh, uh, on the mats if you're training no gi because you're never going to be grabbing onto anything this thin, you know, unless you're prying away someone's finger, which you're not allowed to do anyway. So it's a lot more about training sort of the, the, the cupping position or hooking position, the forearms, your ability to grab, you know, vertical grabbing onto wrists, hooking onto the head. So uh, a lot of people think that grip is very simply open and closing your hand, but that couldn't be further from the truth. The many, many different movements and articulations of the wrist, elbow, forearm, fingers, all of this stuff is uh, very important, both gi and no gi, and a lot more, uh, no gi than people think. Everyone mm. knows that you need a good grip in the gi, but actually having a good grip no gi uh, gives you a huge advantage. Mm. Now, see, there's a very serious question that was getting uh, a lot off the Instagram. Yeah, go on. Pertaining to your grip strength, yeah. can you cr fully? Uh, could you get like a fully, uh, a, a huge can of fucking beer and crush it in your hand before you even open it? Can you do that? Uh, do you know what I've I've seen people do that, uh, which is doing the two-handed uh, beer crush. Or, 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 um, you know, fizzy drink can crush. Uh, I haven't actually tried it. I need to give it a go. Mm. Yeah, man. Put on uh, Instagram TV or something and say, oh, yeah, uh, this weird guy, Humanzi on a podcast said do this. So, okay. <laughs> Let's see if I can bust a beer can open or something that I should be training for at the very least. <laughs> now, one of the things, like, uh, I never understood is people crushing against their heads. Like, I know you got a thick skull and all these people <laughs> do it, but, like, why? <laughs> that's, that's, well, it, it, it's directly proportional for the number of beers that you've already drunk. So once you're, once you're a couple of cans in, nothing really makes sense, does it? Mm. Now, one thing I, I never even thought of doing before until like a week ago was like shotgunning a beer, like just fucking stabbing at the bottom and then just like uh, shotgunning there. I'm like, oh, man, that's such a good fucking idea. <laughs> <laughs> but that, be, that looks like fun. So I never even thought of doing that. Just efficient, efficient uh, um, movement from outside of your body to inside of your body. I can't say I argue with that. Can't say I can, sorry, I can't say I can argue with that, man. I'm all tongue-tied today. Uh, but Daniel, one thing I'm always curious about, was there anything yeah. in particular in your early days of training that you struggled with? Just something that wasn't sinking in for you? Uh, you know, it, it, it's very hard to tell because, 
you know, I've been training jiu-jitsu for really a long time. You know, realistically, I've been training at this point in my life. I've been training jiu-jitsu for longer than I haven't been training jiu-jitsu. So, um, you know, it's just a kind of crossing that that threshold now where I've been training longer than I haven't. Uh, so I've been, you know, the very long time ago when I was a white belt, you know, the longer that you're a black belt, the further those days seem to feel. So uh, I'm sure if you asked a uh, four-strike white belt, Dan Strauss, what his problems were, he could give you a long list, but trying to remember that many years later, it's much harder. You know, I do remember uh, a few people wouldn't be able to, couldn't imagine, but when I started training jiu-jitsu, I was under 55 kilos, you know, um, I was a small guy because uh, I was 15 years old, and I wasn't a big kid, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, big naturally, I had to work out a lot, I see a lot of people come in and they're sort of jacked already and they don't really lift weights, if I don't lift weights, I get really skinny. I've got to lift weights every week. I need to eat a lot of food. Otherwise, I lose weight. So I came in quite a light guy. And I was uh, like 15 years old at the time. And I was training only with adults. There weren't, there wasn't, jiu-jitsu wasn't really big enough to even have like juvenile classes or kids classes very much. So I was training with the adults and I was the smallest guy on the mat. And uh, it meant that I had to adapt my game to be able to roll with the bigger guys. And I think that's one of the... Uh, advantages that I carried through, which is as I did get bigger and stronger, I didn't, I carried, I held on to some of the attributes of the small man game. So the small, small man game basically, I remember very distinctively, playing, having a good guard and having good back attacks and good uh, taking the back because side control, I'd be thrown off, mount, I'd be bucked off. These were positions that just weren't even viable for me, which obviously now I, I'm a lot more comfortable in. Uh, but having a good guard and a good back and playing that little man game when you're a lot bigger uh, is definitely something that put me in a good stead for the future. Mm. Oh, man, do you watch like a lot of cyborg stuff? Because I was looking at some of the shit recently about like, like, motherfucker, he's a good like, I don't even know how heavy he is, but he's fuck. I'm like 80 kg on a good day and he can move like I think he's, he's, fucking... I think he's 110 kilos. Like, Jesus, he's about 105, 110. He's a big. He is a big boy. Cyborg is a big boy. I mean, if you see his warm-up things where he's, like, flipping over and he's, like, kind of like, bruh, how the fuck do you even do that shit? I can't even fathom that stuff. And I'm, like, I can actually, I get, can get a decent bit of movement on me sometimes. You know, I can get some decent fucking passing shit, but I get nothing to that level. No fucking yeah. shit, like. Ah, uh, dude, see? What the fuck's I, what the fuck's I thinking? I'll have to cut that part out. Let's see, man, I, what was your first sort of experience in competition? How'd it go for you? So I remember my first ever, I actually remember my first ever match that I had. You know, this was uh, back in the day. Uh, it, it's quite funny because it wasn't that long ago. You know, you're, you're talking 15 years ago, 14 years ago. It wasn't a crazy amount of time ago. But uh, in the the timeline of jiu-jitsu in the UK, it was a really long time ago. You know, if you said jiu-jitsu in the UK is like, maybe 30 years old, max, probably isn't even that, probably closer to 20 years old, 25 years old. Uh, 15 years ago is a really long time. So the first tournament that I ever did, it was from the knees, not from standing. It was uh, submissions, did not finish the match. What? Yeah. (laughs) It was a a five points for a submission and 10 points finished the match. Uh, and there were no belt divisions. And the reason there were no belt divisions is because there were so few people who were anything other than white belt, you didn't even have to say white belt. It was just, it was a ground fighting tournament. That was it. And it was actually the first ever Hereford Open, 
which is still a tournament run by a guy called Dave Coles. And uh, it's still run to this day, many, many years later, but I competed in the first and second iteration of the Hereford Open. And I remember my first ever match, I was, I think I was 15, and I was competing in the Juvenile Division, I believe. It was like uh, under-19-year-old division. And I start warming up, and they call my name, and then the other person they call is Emma Baker, who is another grappler who is still competing to this day. And uh, so, yeah, I sort of got freaked out that my first ever match was going to be against a girl. I thought, firstly, I thought, um, firstly, I thought, oh, you know, the, the classic, which is I can't I can't fight a girl. I can't fight a girl. And then it was, damn, if I lose to a girl in my first ever match, like I really like jujitsu. But if I get if I get really beaten up by a girl in my first ever match, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to continue on this, this jujitsu journey. So. I went out there quite, went up there pretty aggressively and, uh, I managed to get two submissions on Port Emma, uh, uh, you know, in, in a decent time and won my first match and I still feel bad, pretty bad about it to this day to be honest. But that was my first ever experience competing. I had a couple of matches that day, uh, went back, uh, uh, uh maybe three or four months later and did the second Hereford Open as well. Again from the knees. Uh, but yeah, there, it was good fun. It was a good introduction to the sport and, um, yeah, yeah, it was fun. And then from there, I was just trying to compete. You know, I haven't competed as much as I'd like to over the last sort of, you know, since I got my black belt, really. Uh, but in the early days, as is normal in the early days, sort of the white and blue belt days, you, you tend to compete a lot more often. Mm. Man, start, like, that, that just mystifies me, that whole arrangement of starting on your knees and, like, yeah. submissions didn't count. Like, okay, yeah, so if you so choke fun. someone unconscious, like, okay, that didn't count. Like, what? Is this, like, yeah. play pretend now? <laughs> Yeah, so you you could choke someone, you, you could tap someone out, and then uh, they'd restart, and then they could pass your guard, go knee on stomach, take your back, go to mount, and then they beat you. <laughs> so the rule, the rule, that rule uh, system didn't last too long, but yeah. <laughs> Gio, I wonder why. And you said they still had like nineteen year old, eighteen like juvenile ended at nineteen year olds. You said it was an under nineteen year, uh, it was an under nineteen division. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think with that first one, I think I competed in the under nineteen and the adult division, and then in the next one, I just competed in the adult division. So that's that's the other thing as well. Like back in those times, there weren't any kids tournaments, so I was competing from the I was competing in the adult division from from when I started competing at fifteen. Mm. And that's it's so fucking weird. Like I understand like having the kids like start on knees, okay, fine, but I think that should only be reserved for, like very little children, like seven or eight years old or something. Because yeah, you don't well, want them think, slamming each other. You know, it was it was just it was a very very early tournament, and they were sort of I think uh, uh, Dave also has a, a background in judo. I think it might it might have even been um, sort of advertised as a Niwaza tournament, a ground fighting tournament, and they really took the ground fighting part of that tournament literally, where we even <laughs> start on the ground. But you know, that's just how it is. It was kind of. The, the the competition scene in the UK was very much finding its feet at that time, so uh, it wasn't long after that that they uh, that they went to just you know now the Hereford Open is, is is as normal as any other grappling tournament that you'll come across. But and there was only one mat there as well. I hate oh, just just the one. How far? Just, just that's what I'm saying. It was it was just one mat. Yeah. How, how big was this mat? <laughs> uh, you know, it was just one mat for one for one uh, fight at a time. Oh my. God. Like even with the children, could you not like split in two and just have two? F- like, oh, Jesus, man! That's- well, there were no, there were no children there, so. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, good know, point. 
that's what, there were no children competing, you know, training jiu-jitsu really at the time. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was just one mat, so everyone watches all of it. It was like a show. No, wow. it was like man, a, it sounds like the dark ages, Jesus. That was, was a, uh, was, man. but it was good fun. It was good hmm. fun. Uh, but see, I have an idea there, like, because uh, I know the whole ground fighting tournament. If you want, like, have it like a Nawaza tournament. I have an yeah. idea, and you could still have it as like a two arrangement. So if one, you know. Have yep. them start in like a butterfly guard and them on their knees in a passing position. Like just swap over after like one exchange. Then whoever did better in passing or sweeping wins. And then if that's like an for like a little kid tournament, I think that'd be a, a grand idea instead of starting yeah. standing. Yeah, I know, that, that's my thinking. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that there's lots of different. You know, there's almost an infinite number of rules that you could come up with, and I always applaud people for trying to think outside the box and do different things and keep the competitors on their toes, really. So, yeah, do whatever. I do. Speaking of rule sets, what's your favourite one to compete under? Um, it's a tough one, actually. I, I, I did like the quintet. Do you know what? I, I, I'm really looking forward to doing the next uh, Polaris Squad event because five-minute rounds sounds absolutely up my street you know uh the 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 15 minute rounds of polaris are just quite long uh it's quite hard to keep up a good intensity for that amount of time so you end up you know you end up uh coasting a little bit or trying to preserve energy uh i'm looking forward to just running out you know getting nice and warm in the back and then uh as soon as it's time to throw down just throwing down from the get-go because you know that realistically you, you know, if you're going to gas in five minutes, you're going to gas in the last couple of, in the last minute or so, and you're not going to be super knackered. So, uh, I guess my, maybe my favorite format is one that I haven't competed in, but I really am like, I really like the quintet format as well, which is, it's eight minute matches, which I think is a really good time for a match. I think eight minutes is actually a great time for a match. Um, and, uh, I like, uh, and then of course, if there's a big weight discrepancy, then it's only a four minute match. Uh, four minutes is very quick. I think uh, when we saw the first Polaris uh, squad event uh, and some of the matches, you know, were going to footlock battles and stuff like that. There was a lot of movement, but not a lot of submissions. I think it felt like five minutes was actually um, a little bit too little. So you can imagine how short four minutes goes on the competition mat. So I had a couple of four minute matches very quick. Yeah. Mm. Well, man, I'm, with the big weight discrepancy, I imagine it's it's fucking he- it feels like an eternity. Say you got or unlucky and you're the big guys on top of you. That's a really long four minutes. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, man. I, I'm not sure, you, you, you know, because you, you do start from stand-in, so uh, most of the time in quintet, when, when it's a four-minute round, you've got one big guy, one small guy, the small guy isn't necessarily looking to win, the small guy is looking to, to, to take a draw, really. You know, that's mm. the strategic part of it, they're looking to get a draw, so they'll often avoid or they'll stay standing. You know, if you stay stand, standing with someone for two minutes, it's not hard to do with anyone. Uh, and if, and if you've got someone on the feet for two minutes, whether you take them down, they take you down, whether they're in side control, whatever, two minutes or less than two minutes on the ground is really like a tiny amount of time. So, uh, very few people are going to be able to, um, are not going to be able to survive that. Mm. Ah, you know, each their own. I meant, see, uh, what's your all time favorite submission? It's whether you catch in competition, gym, just your favorite thing to go to. It would be hard for me to say anything other than a guillotine. You know, that's sort of the thing that I'm known for these days. Um, uh, but, you know, for many years it was the triangle. I, I think I still have more competition victories by triangle than I do by guillotine. Um, and in the gym nowadays, uh, Kimuras, 
I tell you, if, you know, we were talking about it earlier with the grip strength and, and, and how the grip strength pertains to no gi. The training that I've been doing over the last sort of year, especially over the last six months, to strengthen my wrists and forearms in these kind of flexion and control angles. Once I grab onto a Kimura now, it's incredibly powerful. I pretty much, once I get into position, I have almost a 100% finish rate. Uh, and, and that definitely comes from being able to have a strong connection from, you know, your entire body down your arm and into your opponent's arm. So uh, on the mats these days, over the last couple of weeks especially, uh, because obviously when you're training with the same people every day, they start to get pretty wise. They stop sticking their head into guillotines. They still catch them occasionally, but I've got to be a little bit more sneaky. Um, for a long time, I was having a huge success with um, a chest compression from side control. I was getting... Uh, still to this day, I'd say, uh, if I, um, if I visit another gym or if I go to a camp or something where I'm rolling with people who haven't rolled with me before and everyone's expect, expecting me to go for guillotines, the majority of people or the majority of the time I get a submission, I'm actually tapping them from side control with, with, with side control pressure. Uh, but obviously like a, a, like a technical version of that, which sounds a lot worse than it, which is a lot worse than it sounds. Uh, but yeah, so I catch that quite a lot, but again, the guys are, defending very well with the Kimura however the versatility of the Kimura is truly something to behold oh. you know the, the, the number of angles that you can finish with the Kimura and of course your ability to take the back to switch the arm bars uh, and to do other stuff with the Kimura is just incredibly powerful dude fucking I, I can honestly say with absolute certainty the Kimura is overpowered as all hell yeah. like man if, if you're good at Kimuras you're pretty much you're going to fuck people up like say yeah. they do pass you and you latch up the Kimura grip like, like you say taking their back no bother mm-hmm. Or fucking just reversing them again on top, man. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's super powerful. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, for me, the two submissions that are actually the most similar are uh, from uh, sort of not not similar in how they look or the mechanics of what body parts you're using, but the two submissions that uh, conceptually are so similar are the guillotine and the kimura. Uh, for me, these are two control positions that also you can submit from. I don't look at the guillotine as a submission, and I don't look at the Kimura as a submission. I look at them both as very strong control positions, which you can use for many transitions, and you could also submit from. Uh, so for that reason, those are, those are my two favorite subs, really. Mm. But I don't have many, I don't have many uh, Kimura finishes in competition, so... Mm. Just a quick aside for you. just want to pry about the guillotine real quick. Yeah. Arm, arm in or arm out? What's, what's arm your out. Every time arm out. Because uh, I... I fucking hate arm and guillotines. They have not Maybe once it's... ever worked for me. Ever. Yeah, they, they, they actually are, uh, they're very different. They're very different submissions. They come on, on a different place. You need, uh, in the, the tension that you're applying is in a different direction. You know, the angles are a different direction. The other uh, transitions off of the position are in different things. So uh, they, 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 they're very similar in a way, but they're also a lot, more different than people give them credit for. They're strong or arm out, but they're very different. I prefer the arm out variation. I really like the uh, upward pressure onto the neck and the ability to switch the other stuff from there, so that's what I prefer. Oh, dude, I remember, like, uh, I went to Adam Wojcinski one time. Uh, he was doing a seminar at this one gym in Dublin. I was like, man, I'm going off to Dublin to train with him. And he showed, like, he had the front... Uh, he had, like, the... Um, actually, he had, like, the guillotine and with the arm in, and he just done a little transition... We yeah. just took the arm out for a sec and just latched it on with the yeah. arm out and just That's, I, I do that them as well. Yeah, so, it was so cool. Yeah, so one of the ways that I do that, without getting too technical over a, uh, a podcast, but you know, what, one of the hard things is when you're switching from uh, arm in guillotine to an arm out guillotine, all the 
pressure that's on, on the inside needs to be on the outside. You know, it's on the inside of your arms, but you need to get it on the outside. So actually what I do is I'll, I'll move the hand around and I'll bring the hand high, which not only, you know, the choking hand, which not only allows me to grab onto it easier, but it also allows me to give a little bit of back pressure onto the shoulder to stop the opponent from staying really airtight to the back of the hand, which allows me to then move it and grab onto it. So it's a similar back hand. And sort of that extension with the wrist that you find when you're attacking the Kimura, which is when the, the overhook arm underhooks through and you've got back pressure with your wrist and the back of your hand on your opponent's forearm, uh, can control it just for a second, not for a long time, because this extension of the wrist is very weak. Uh, but you can control it just for a second enough to, to lock off onto your grip. So another similarity between the Kimura and the uh, guillotine there. Yeah, just one last thing, and then I'll shut up about guillotines and kimuras or what. I talk about guillotines and kimuras with that. Ah, uh, dude, and I, I'd go right along with you, but get this: <laughs> while, we're to, while we're on the topic of guillotines, yeah, do you do you ever prove your necktie, people? Uh, I used to, but I very rarely do now. Because man, it's like a super guillotine. It's like, with the legs and shit as well, I'm like, holy fuck, this thing is decent. And man, I done it to this uh, small dude one time. I, I damn, I nearly fucking killed him. <laughs> I nearly killed him with this fucking move. It's very powerful. If you're in the right position, you know, you throw your entire body over and you've got that, the momentum and then they try to follow naturally their body mechanics. It's not a conscious decision that they, they just follow. They have to. And then obviously the leg comes over as they're following. It kind of stops them in their tracks. Uh, it's a really nasty submission. Um, but yeah, not something that I've used in actually many years. I think what since I started looking, uh, if if I'm in a turtle position with someone, I'm going to look to take an arm out guillotine. Or I'm going to look to take the back. Mm. Uh, I'm quite partial to the anaconda choke myself. Fucking love that choke more more well, than anything. Too short. That's my problem. <laughs> I, don't bra- I don't bravo a lot. I don't dance a lot. I don't anaconda very much, uh, but just a little bit. Uh, my arms are too short or too thick, whichever one you want to decide. <laughs> Is that uh, thick T H I C C or C K? Three C's, three C's. Holy shit! There hasn't been that many C's in this arrangement ever before. It, it, it depends if I've just been in the gym or not. If I've if I've not been in the gym, like immediately, you know, if I if, if I haven't just come out of the gym, then it's two C's. Sometimes if I've just come out of a gym and I've got a good pump on, maybe it's three C's. Hmm. Ah uh, man, have you ever sort of uh, what's it? Uh, what was the first sort of seminar you attended in uh, in a, B- a BJ seminar? Sorry, a stu- seminar there for a sec. Uh, do you remember what was taught at it? Who was teaching? Uh, you know what? That's a good question. I haven't been to a lot of seminars. Um, you know, one of the one of the seminars uh, one quite early on. I went to a Cobrinha seminar and it was pretty good. You know, I've, I've done some seminars with some good people. Um, I've done a few seminars with Delahiva. He used to come to our gym very often, so maybe even Delahiva was the first seminar that I went to. Uh, I've done a seminar with um, with uh, Mike Fowler. It was actually one of my favorite seminars that I went to. I thought he was really great. Uh, I did a seminar with Andre Galvao. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I've done a few. Um, I, I can remember very little techniques from any of the seminars that I've been to, though. I think um, and. and one of the reasons when I started doing seminars, I did them in a very, or when I, when I really started focusing on teaching seminars, which I was doing for quite a few years before all of the, this corona happened, um, I sort of tried to improve on some of the issues that I found from going to other seminars. So 
The Andre Galvao seminar is, is a good example. You know, Andre Galvao is obviously one of the grapplers to ever walk the face of the earth. He's just an unbelievable uh, competitor, an unbelievable grappler, and he's a fantastic coach as well. Uh, but the problem with the Andre Galvao seminar, all of the techniques that he taught were not only fantastic, battle-tested, and really excellently uh, explained, uh, despite the language barrier, uh, but I didn't remember very many of the techniques that he taught. And one of the reasons for that is uh, it's, he'll teach a one takedown, a guard pass, one sweep, and one submission from mount, if you understand what I'm saying. It's, it's a lot of different techniques. And it's very, very difficult for you to remember such a broad spectrum of different things. So when I started doing seminars, I wanted to make sure there's no point, do, in my opinion, because there's kind of two ways that you can do a seminar. You can show incredible techniques that no one will ever use or probably even remember. Or you can actually show people stuff that they will remember, for hopefully, years to come. And I thought that uh, I, I didn't want my, my seminars to be superficial. I wanted them to be um, productive. And for that reason, I selected a very small subject and spent the entire seminar surrounding that one subject. So my first seminar that I ever taught was on guillotines. Um, after that, I did a seminar on um, I did a uh, I did a guillotine tour. So I did it's, it's very small. It's about six gyms, but I had sort of planned out this seminar. Um, thoroughly and I just executed that seminar at, at these gyms the next one I did was a butterfly I believe was a butterfly guard one which was, no I think it was a, maybe a side control one, but anyway I did a side control one, I did a butterfly guard one I did another seminar, a guillotine seminar tour, by then I was doing like 50 seminars in a year uh, just like every weekend going doing seminars elsewhere, but you know if you go to one of my seminars, you're probably going to learn two or three or four techniques, like a very, very, in three hours. It's a very small number of techniques, but hopefully you'll remember those techniques because they're all to do with the same thing. You're learning a lot of concepts. You're learning that understanding behind why you're doing stuff. So when it comes to seminars, you know, a lot of the seminars that I've done, whilst the, 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 the instructor has been fantastic, uh, the techniques have been fantastic, and they were really well explained, I don't actually they are so I find in my experience anyway sticking to one small subject and exploring it on a much deeper level which seem, seems to be what a lot more people are doing nowadays is, is the way to go that was a really long answer to what was your first seminar <laughs> <laughs> nah but it was a good answer because man like one of the things I really fucking hate is like the information overload like what you were saying it's like oh yeah guys you could do this but you could do this from here 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 like okay how about uh Shut up and show one thing really yeah. well so it sticks. Like, man, uh, well, you brought up Andre Gavao. We each had a seminar by a guy who was uh, black belt under him, uh, Christian Woodman C. That was yeah. a fucking really good one. It was all just De La Hiva stuff. He's shown, like, three, three De La Hiva sweeps, a, a cool pass, and a fucking um, this thing called Gandalf guard. He, he didn't get too much into weeds of that because it was a weird-looking position, but it was really good. And one thing I really liked at the end... Was a and a thing. It's just like, uh, uh, so that's all the stuff I was going to show you tonight, but if you want anything specific, just like random, uh, just shout. It's like, oh yeah, uh, this 50-50 uh, sort of detail, or this north-south escape, which is, this north-south escape is fucking, <laughs> it's fucked up. Get this, uh, your bottom north-south, you have your hands and your hips, and you just swing up and take their back. Oh, it's a classic. That's the oldest trick in the book. 
Oh, but man, uh, if you, if you're me and you try that, you're gonna hurt your neck every time. I remember. I tr- <laughs> no, but here's another thing. Um, I tried it on a fucking uh, a 50 kg purple belt girl who's really good. I tried that move on her, and she's so much smaller than me. I gave myself yeah. a fucking cramp in the leg mid roll. I'm like, well, is, is this is just what I need? She was gonna kick my ass anyway, but now I'm fucking having a cramp and I'm about to die. Yeah, that was that technique is. The bigger the person is on top of you, the easier it is. You want someone really long and, uh, and, and, and not moving so good. So a 55 kilo purple belt girl, not the one. Not the one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, uh, I didn't go doing that on her again because, uh, I didn't want to give myself a worse cramp because, gee, man, if you've ever gotten a cramp during rolling because I'm an idiot and I never, I never stretch. I didn't stretch back then, but I do now, you know, because I'm not an idiot. I'm not as much of an idiot anymore. <laughs> I think uh, that's uh, one gl- good thing I can say. <laughs> that's it. I mean, was um, oh yeah. Have you ever gone to seminar and integrated something so well into a game? It's become like a mainstay. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, no, I, I, I don't think I have. I'm trying to think. You know, it, it's one of those things. Once you um, once you reach a certain level, or once you've been training for a certain amount of time. You're not necessarily looking for uh, a new technique. You're looking for very small details. You know that that's really what interests me the most about jujitsu. That's what I like to teach. It's what I like to show. It's what I like to learn. It's not actually a whole new technique or uh, anything uh, massive. But I like to learn the small, the you know, the macro, uh, micro that adds up to the macro, the small stuff that makes a big difference. So you may see uh, a way that. You know, watch Braulio do a triangle or an armbar, and I'll see the angle that he has his shin, and then I'll go, okay, that's that's really interesting. I haven't looked at that perspective before, and then I'll try that, and that will integrate into the game. Um, so yeah, that's about the closest. No, no, no one technique that's sort of changed everything. Mm. I mean, would you sort of say if you're running a class, would you like emphasize like drilling, rolling, or positional sparring? Like, what's your sort of uh, favorite thing to do? Yeah, so I taught. Um, I stopped teaching jiu-jitsu uh, just over a year ago. I was teaching for 12 years continuously before that. So I was teaching jiu-jitsu from, uh, from, from the age of 16 to 28 uh, every week. The last four years of that, 12 years, I was teaching uh, full no-gi programs, which kind of really allowed me to d- get deep and explore how to teach and how to get people to learn and improve their jiu-jitsu. And um, what we did was... Uh, some drilling, uh, for, uh, almost nothing in the in the way of warm ups. Um, I find out when people do a big warm up and then they start doing drilling, it doesn't really make any sense. So they start doing technique. Uh, so learning techniques and a little bit of drilling and uh, a lot of positional sparring. That was sort of the main thing that I focused on. I would, you know, going back to that thing about sticking on one position in a seminar. I do the same thing in in, in when I was teaching classes. I'd spend eight weeks. On one position. So very long time, four weeks. No, it's going four weeks, but it could be as long as eight weeks. So four to six weeks on a, if it's a big position, maybe even eight weeks. But we'd spend a month or two on one position. So let's say we're doing butterfly guard for four weeks or for six weeks. And every single time we start sparring is from butterfly guard. Um, uh, some of it is king of the hill where you just, if you get swept or passed, then that's it. Even in the free sparring, you're still starting from butterfly guard. Because the amount of times you see, you know, you try to show a technique, and of course all the techniques are from butterfly guard, be it pass and stand and submit, whatever. Um, 
And uh, so often you, you teach a brand new technique and then the guys go the role and the guy who uh, hates butterfly guard because he's never practiced it and just likes to pass guard and get to side control and you try and teach him a butterfly guard sweep and then he slaps hands and he takes the guy down and passes his guard and gets into side control for the rest of the round. So it forces people to start in positions that they're not perhaps comfortable with and the best thing to integrate a new technique into someone's arsenal is to force them into a position where they don't know anything else to do. But five <laughs> minutes ago, they learned how to do the sweep, so at least they're going to try to do the sweep that they just learned. Mm. So for me, uh, a specific sparring was, I'd say, the most... Um, uh, if, if, if I had number one priority, it would be positional sparring, yeah. Mm. Uh, man, that's a fucking great way to look at it, man, because, see... Like you said about the warm-ups and shit, like, there's a lot of ways I'd run a fucking class if I was running the shop, because, man, I fucking hate long warm-ups. I think everyone mm. has a general consensus, because, like, I'm going to say a class an hour long, like, um, you're there to do jiu-jitsu. Like, if you, give a, if, you, if you give a shit about your conditioning and your cardio and stuff, you'll fucking do that outside the gym. Yeah. Like, um, and, you know, I liked, uh, like, I went up to Jungle BJ one time, and I trained with Tom Halpin, and he's like, oh, yeah, uh stretch for five minutes so we'll get straight to the technique yeah you know you know the onus is on you to fucking make sure you're stretching well and doing all that you know i i think it's it's also a matter of um of how much time you have you know in in, in all of the classes that i was teaching with the exception of one and one two-hour class but the other classes would be an hour long um i don't have time to 15 minute warm up in a one hour class if I wanted to get half an hour of sparring in so uh, occasionally we'd do drills for warm up, it wouldn't be a warm up there'd be no star jumps or anything like that uh, but doing drills uh, that was something to do with the technique that we were doing so that would kind of be the warm up and then that would feed us into doing the techniques from that position uh, in terms of you doing other stuff I, I do think that there is some benefit to not uh, not calling it a warm-up per se, I think it has wrong connotations, but uh, practicing movements, especially for beginners, people who are new to jiu-jitsu, you know, if I was able, you know, another thing, in the classes that I was teaching, they were all for all levels, so I had to accommodate all levels, but if I was teaching a class that was just for beginners, I think that practicing certain movements and being able to teach your body to move in certain ways is actually perhaps uh, quite useful, irrespective of the fact that it warms you up. I still don't, uh, what, what I mean by that is doing star jumps is mm. not the way. If you do a <laughs> sparring class, then you do a warm-up. But if you're doing a technique class, then uh, they're, they're doing star jumps for five minutes, then going into 20 minutes of technique that's really low intensity where you call back down, and then going into sparring is, in my opinion, just a waste of time. Mm. So doing movement like shrimping or bridging or turning or guard retention drills or whatever else as your warm-up and then moving into uh, technique and then into sparring, is a, it, worked, it worked well for me. We didn't have any people getting Nah, that makes a lot of sense, man. We actually got a few Instagram questions here from a... Uh, Hit me. We didn't get much, but these are fucking really good. It's okay. like, uh, I say, I'm not going to tell you who, uh, what's the sent them, because one of them is really funny, and he's like, okay. oh yeah, insider info, so you'll be, be okay. a bit of, like, <laughs> the anonymity will be, uh, okay. Romanian or something. Oh, like, yeah. It's pure fucking windy and shit around here, so it's annoying the fuck out of me. It's like, uh, are you going to bring out a guillotine or a butterfly guard instructional? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, that, that, that was the original plan for this year. My year, my idea was to, the plan originally this time last year was to 
uh, I had the seminar tour booked in um, uh, February and March last year, which lasted a month. And it literally finished the day before we went into, uh, you know, all the pubs closed and stuff. And we started to go into lockdown. So my original plan was to do that seminar tour, then record a uh, guillotine instructional and put that out. But with nobody training jiu-jitsu, I thought that it would be a really bad time to uh, release a instructional video for jiu-jitsu. So instead, I decided that I was going to uh, do something that would be a lot more useful to people when they couldn't do jiu-jitsu, which is to train their grip. Um, and a lot of the stuff that I include on the video is um, stuff that you don't need any equipment to do. You can have a broomstick handle, a rubber band, you know, some bands, resistance bands, you know, a bucket of sand, stuff like that. Stuff that's going to be, you know, very, very accessible to a lot of people. You don't need to have a, uh, a, a specialist gym like I do in order to train a lot of stuff. So that's why I released the, 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 the grip training instructional when I did. I recorded many months ago, but it took a while to, to get all done. Uh, my next plan is to, I, you know, depending on what people want, I might release some more strength based instructionals. But my main focus when it comes to instructionals is to record the guillotine instructional, which I've been wanting to do for many years. Uh, uh, probably do a butterfly guard one, probably do a side control one, maybe a back attack one, but it's quite oversaturated sort of the back attack. But mm-hmm. the guillotine will be 100% the first instructional that I film, and I'm probably looking to film that in uh, early next year, maybe in sort of uh, February, March time next year, and get it out for sort of late spring. Mm-hmm. Now, man, if you do the side control one, please, please have the chest compression thing be like the first thing you show, because I'm I'm much yeah. honest. Yeah, so that's kind of, um, that, that's basically what it is about. The side control seminar that I've been teaching over the last, uh, when I was teaching seminars earlier in the year, um, I was doing, I usually do a tour on one subject, but because I was going to many gyms, a lot of the gyms had done my guillotine tour already. Some of the gyms had done, you know, so I mixed it up, uh, a combination of, uh, uh, back attacks, um, Butterfly Guard, Side Control, and Guillotines. So sort of those are the main three seminars. So I've got and, and, and triangles as well. Those are the, the main seminar, seminars that I have, and therefore I have a lot of good content to teach from there. Um, I'm really actually looking forward to doing the Guillotine one because there's so much information on the Guillotine and details on the Guillotine that I don't have time to teach during a three-hour Guillotine seminar because during my three-hour Guillotine seminar, I, I literally teach two two techniques, and one is a guillotine and the other one is a variation. So you could argue that it's technique 1A and 1B, uh, but there's many, many ways to utilize those techniques. And uh, if I do a side control one, it will actually be not, not just include the chest compression, but it's sort of based around the position where you can use the chest compression from. So it will be a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I'll do it a quick, just a quick aside for the back attack one. Yeah or nay, the Miss Piggy, you know, the... Uh, to get the fucking shit up, just yanking the nose like. Eh? Um, I hate when people do that to me. Okay, training no, competition yes. Yeah. If you do that to people in training, then you're a piece of shit. <laughs> don't do it, man. Honestly, like, there's a lot of stuff that's not cool to do in, in in training. You know, I don't care how much of a badass you think you are. If someone takes my back. And, and they and they stick their forearm underneath my nose and lift it up. It's going down. Uh, I'll it, it. smash the shit out of them. Yeah, it's not a friendly friendly roll after that, right? Oh, you know, it's the same like going for neck cranks or going for like face stuff like that. It's something that you do in competition, but there's no reason to be doing it in sparring. You know, they're your fucking training partners. Give me a break. Yeah, or skull squishers or fucking. Uh, 
I can't think of anything funnier. I think Skull Squisher is pretty fun. Like, just like a head squeeze and shit. That's really fucking annoying. Yeah, Or exactly. a ch- chest compression. Nah, chest <laughs> compressions will good. That's all good. Oh, no. Well, what I do is okay, but all these other ones are terrible. Nah, chest... Yeah, 100%. 100%. I'm not fucking with someone's face. Let's put it that way. <laughs> nah, I, I don't mind the chest compression occasionally because, like, you know, it's it's kind of fucking funny, the little winces of pain. Plus, you know... Even if you do chest compress someone, like, it's not as bad as if you, like, face crank them or something. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't be comparing my legitimate chest compression technique to someone, you know, choking someone's eyeballs. Yeah. Oh, man, you sounded like Steven Seagal there for a second. Oh, my chest compression technique. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man, uh, what's it? This, this one guy wants to thank you for being a pain in AJ's ass at Polaris. <laughs> he says you were doing a public service. I know, man. It's so funny that, that that guy is so internationally hated that even like six years later, which is how long I think it was, uh, people are still uh, congratulating me or thanking me for 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 um for putting him in his place. So you're yeah. welcome. Is the, yeah. Yeah. Serious serious inquiry here. Yeah. Did he, did he call someone out after he just lost the fight? Didn't he uh, call someone out after he lost one time? Yeah. Uh, look, that's AJ all the time. You know, and that, that's AJ all the time. You know, obviously, my, my match with AJ ended in a draw uh, because at Polaris at the time, there, there was no if there was no submission, it was a draw. Uh, according to the judges, they used that as an example of their judging criteria. And uh, by all accounts, I would have won that had it been a decision. Um, and then after that, he called out Keenan Cornelius, which is pretty funny. Uh, so, yeah, AJ is like a professional shit talker. Um, if his grappling was as good as the shit talking... He, he wouldn't have to talk so much shit. Ah <laughs> oh, man. Well, no one... He has to... Well, man, he's probably a black belt in shit talking. Maybe that's what the belt is for. <laughs> that, guy is a, that guy has a red belt in talking shit. There's no doubt about that. If there was a belt over red, he would have gotten it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. How, how about guy, uh, pink or something? I'd definitely give him a pink belt in shit talking. <laughs> uh, what what color would the belt bar be? Because you know, in like uh, black, it's red, or you know, all that shit. What would you? What would the belt bar be in pink? It's got to be brown, right? <laughs> <laughs> if it's the fucking oh shit, God. it's got to be brown. Ah, oh, one in the pink and one in the stink. Oh, uh, your work, your work's not mine, mate. Ah, <laughs> uh, dude, does that that shit writes itself? Like, uh, this other guy asks, uh, "How was your experience going to ADCC in 2011?" Man, that's a long time ago, man. It, it was it was a really cool experience. It was a bit of a crazy experience. You know, I, I qualified for ADCC when I was a purple belt, and I got my brown belt just a couple months before I was competing at ADCC. And uh, you know, I was I was I was competing under seventy seven. My first match was matched against uh, Claudio Calazans. Uh, as as usual, the, um, the 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 people who get invited get matched with the people who won the trials. That's kind of how they see it. Um, it was it was an unbelievable experience, you know. It's one that 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 you know one one of my biggest disappointments, I guess, is that I haven't been back to that position since 2011. It just so happened that a lot of things got in the way, you know. For example, you know, the last time there was ADCC qualifiers, or, the, or for the the last ADCC, the qualifiers for that. Um, I missed them because I was doing stuff like quintet or I was doing commentary on another thing. You know, there's just lots of events that happened that meant that I didn't get back there. But, you know, that really was a big goal for mine this year was to qualify for ADCC again. Uh, but 2011 was really cool. You know, I was uh, 20 years old and um, 
you know, I was warming up and Marcelo Garcia was warming up next to me and, 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 you know, you know Jacare was warming up next to me and it was, it was unbelievable really, you know, Hicks and Gracie was there and, 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 and it was a who's who of, of, of grapplers. And for me, it was quite, it, it was quite, uh, you know, I was quite starstruck by the whole experience. But, uh, to, 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 to do that, obviously the result didn't go very well. Uh, but to do that in my home country as well and have an unbelievable amount of support from the home crowd, uh, it was a very enjoyable experience and I remember it very fondly. Yeah. At least you didn't have to fucking travel halfway across the world. Well, you know what? There's two there's two ways to look at it, right? Uh, the, 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 the the invites or uh, the trial winners get an all expenses paid trip to the ADCC. So I could have had a expenses paid, you know, I, I could have been flown out to Los Angeles or to China or to Finland or to uh, anywhere else, Brazil. Uh, but instead, I got flown out to where well, I didn't get flown out. I got um, given like thirty quid petrol money to drive up to uh, Nottingham. So. <laughs> A little bit less glamorous, but, you know, the advantage is that I get the home crowd advantage. The disadvantage is that I don't get flown out anywhere particularly exotic. But yeah, plus, you know, you don't have the jet lag and all that shit. That's um, true. That is true. Oh, man, I, I still would have took the fucking uh, trip. Uh, one one question, though, about that. I wonder if there would be, uh, uh, if it would be first class flight or just like, uh, you know, uh, uh, nah, nah. <laughs> Hell to the no. Hell to the no. <laughs> Why not? Like, it's a prestigious well, well, grappling event. Come on, come on. Firstly, maybe, like, Gordon Ryan's gonna get a first class ticket, I'm sure. Uh, but, but, but no one else who wins the trials is gonna get a first class ticket, I can guarantee you that. Um, you know, irrelevant of the fact that they definitely don't have first class seats on a plane from, uh, London to Nottingham, so. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's not that's 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 not a dig. That is a literal reality. There are no first class seats on a small plane like that. I can guarantee it. Jesus fuck. <laughs> oh man. Another question we have is uh, when this this guy asks, why is the podcast output dropped off? I really enjoyed your podcast, bro. He's, yeah. he's pure sad. Yeah, I, look, I'm sad as well. The reality is is that I I will not ever record a um, podcast. Uh, that isn't in person. It's just a personal preference of mine. Um, so obviously over the, 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 the corona pandemic um, and the sort of the situations that we're still very much in, I haven't had the ability to, to sit down and to interview any guests. So uh, I had a good run sort of, uh, you know, I got a few good names when I was traveling around. And last year I got some really good names. And I've had some amazing names over the over the years that I've been doing it. And it's been really disappointing and really upsetting for me. I'm sure with all of the listeners, I have lots of people complaining about it. <clears throat> but it's a purely logistical thing. I, I will just never, um, I'll never do anything over, uh, I never do my podcast remotely. I always like to do it in person. Um, so when we have a little bit more freedom, I have some really great names lined up. So I promise that when the podcast is back, which realistic, realistically now with uh, sort of the busyness of Christmas coming up now, will probably be early next year. Uh, but I'll be coming back with a bang and maybe a spoiler alert. I'll probably be looking to get Roger Gracie as the first one back. So if people, if people are patient, it will be good, I promise. Jesus fuck, Roger Gracie. <laughs> That's not just Jesus. I have some really good names lined up. Um, I just need to, um, uh, I just need to make it happen logistically. But you know, the, the reason why the output's been low, I haven't forgotten about it. I haven't stopped putting effort in. It's just been all basically impossible for me to do this year. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that. Could you get like a table that's like two meters long so no one could call shenanigans on like the Rona shit? 
yeah, you could. You know, it's just hard to sort of sort anything out at the moment. So I just thought, instead of me sort of taking any, um, uh, you know, having to, you know, put any restrictions on or to to manipulate the podcast anyway, you know, for, for me, it's not. You know, oh, you just froze up there for a second. It's pure stuttery. But yeah. what are you saying? Yeah, there, there, there's, there's a um, there was a time perhaps when I wanted to put out consistent content. Uh, so maybe I'd get some people in that I didn't really want to have on. Not that I'm naming any names, but you know, I, I, I saw <laughs> everyone's going to be wondering, was that me? Uh, for the most part, that's that's very very few. But I was really trying to get. You know, there was a time I was trying to put a podcast out every two weeks. Um, and sometimes it was even more than that. Now I, I really view my podcast as a documentation of the history of jiu-jitsu and the history of a lot of these individuals. And for that reason, I will not compromise on the quality. I will not put in episodes as filler or episodes that are done remotely that I don't believe are going to be the quality of episodes in person. So for that reason, uh, for out of respect for the, 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 the product itself, um, I'm going to wait until I can do it properly. But, yeah, I'm hoping I have some really good names lined up that I'm really excited about doing. And, then, you know, one, one of the, actually the reasons why I left teaching, I wanted to travel more and to take my recording equipment with and be able to travel to America and open up a huge avenue of all, like, you know, imagine, uh, you know, I was, I was looking to stay in California for a month or two this summer. And had I been out there with my recording stuff, the number of names that I would have been able to got in California itself, you know, just in California would have been, you know, unbelievable. You're talking 50 episodes I could probably have done, obviously uh, not viable in two months, really, unless I did nothing else. But but a huge number of um, incredible individuals, both grapplers and people outside of grappling uh, that I would have been able to get. So still very much focused on my mind. Uh, just um, wait a little bit longer, but it'll be worth it. Mm. No, dude, that makes a lot of sense. You don't want to sacrifice, like, the quality for, like, quantity and all that shit. And yeah, that makes exactly. perfect sense. I do it, I'd much rather. Like, uh, when was, what was the last episode you did put up? Uh, I did one episode during the, uh, during the pandemic when, because I, I had my training partner come and, and, and uh, he's been on a couple of times. So we did a, an interview there. Uh, that was with Andrew Marshall. But before that, I believe it was the Rick Young episode, which must have been recorded in, uh, early March. Hmm. Ashram. That long, all things considered, like you know, sure, I'd rather wait for like a genuine yeah. sort of feel as opposed, like, because if you suddenly started doing like episodes like this, it'd be a bit jarring for people. They'd be like, whoa, whoa what the fuck? It's remote and stuff. Like, yeah. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get some of the. I never do. I, I, yeah, I, I've been asked by a lot of people. I had a couple of messages recently, actually, from uh, some really interesting people in America um, that wanted to come on the podcast, and I said, look, unfortunately. I just, um, I will never do it. I was actually, I was moderately surprised to see Joe Rogan over the last six months doing uh, remote podcasts and, and, and podcasts over Zoom or Skype. Um, I didn't think that he'd be doing that, but he has done that. But then, you know, he is the head of a hundred million dollar um, uh, podcasting machine. So he kind of is obligated to create content, whereas uh, I don't get paid for doing my podcast and it's just out of passion, out of love and out of the desire to create good content and high quality content. For that reason, no compromises will be made. When I'm able to sit down with an individual and have a great conversation with them, then that's when the podcast will be back. But hopefully things are looking up early next year and I'm going to see if I can get Roger on. Mm. Uh, see, I thought the only time like uh, Joe would do the remote one is when he had Edward Snowden on because he can't get him in studio because... He's in exile in Russia. 
Yeah, but he's he's been doing quite a lot. He's been doing quite a lot remotely. Uh, dude, yeah. uh, a good one recently was the one with Dave Chappelle, where he showed up two hours in. I can't yeah, even remember. Can't even remember the other guy he had on because he was so fucking boring. And then Dave Dave arrived, and then the episode got good. <laughs> yeah, I think that they're gonna. Uh, Dave said that he's, he wants to do a proper episode with um, Joe as well, so I think that would be awesome. Uh, man, it's like that episode with like uh, Alex Jones and Eddie Bravo, where Eddie Bravo shows up like an hour and a half in. Yeah, like, yeah. Where the fuck were you, Eddie? What the hell, bro? Why you show up sooner? <laughs> <laughs> I get this. Uh, see, you remember the first time they had Alex Jones and Eddie Bravo on in 2017? That was before I even started jiu-jitsu. Uh-huh. I, and I, I just wanted to see Alex Jones because, you know, it's fucking funny. And then Eddie Bravo was on. I'm like, who the fuck is Eddie Bravo, motherfucker? Who the fuck is he? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, fuck off, this fucking stoner dude. And yeah, then, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, when I started jiu-jitsu, I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy's actually fucking... Shit hot, I'm like, well, cool, yeah. uh, have a look at him. <laughs> yeah, definitely a legend, yeah. Oh man, uh, we've got two more questions. It's like, uh, will Cleos return in, 2000, in 2021? Yep, yeah, absolutely. You know, another question that I've had a lot. Um, obviously, there has been zero uh, local grappling tournaments in the UK since March. Uh, the only tournaments that we've had in the UK have been the professional events we've been able to get through using the, uh, that sort of elite status. Uh, Cleos will return, which is the tournament that I run. Uh, it will return as soon as we are able to run tournaments. Cleos will be back. So uh, the, the, the return will be happening. And um, may, maybe the theme of maybe the theme of the of, of the first clear, because we like to theme our events. Oh, so whether it was, uh, you know, we've done Terminator or uh, Ooh, uh, Terminator, or Game of Thrones, uh, Mad Max. The last one, I think, was actually Rick and Morty because uh, <laughs> The two, me, me and the other promoter are both big Rick and Morty fans. Uh, and we did Star Wars. We've done a few really cool ones. Uh, may, maybe the first one when we get back will be themed on sequels as we are coming back. Oh, I mean, like, what's, like, you say you have a theme, so like, what, yeah. would you give, like, uh, lightsabers away as prize, as like the medals instead or some shit? Like, uh. Okay, so, so, uh, do you, do you know any, do you know much about Cleos? Uh, not really. Like, is that the hammers and the axes? Yes. Yeah, the hammers. Yeah. I, 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 the hammers. And we try to, where possible, theme the hammers around the theme. Uh-huh. So when we did the Star Wars one, it was arguably the coolest hammer of all because it was a lightsaber hammer and it was sick. Oh, my fucking God. It was sick. Uh, so there have been a, cool ha- a couple of cool hammers around that sort of thing. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And then we theme it, well, the music that we use, because we have music playing the entire day, so we'll play music from whatever the theme is. <clears throat> we have a, a, a d- videos, the DVDs playing on a TV in the warm-up room, so they'll be in line with the theme as well. So yeah, so we try and, we'll just try and keep it fun. And then like we have, we have a really cool t-shirts and posters made by really great artists called Gartista. Uh, so the, 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 the event t-shirts will obviously also follow the theme. So, it's just a way of making it fun, and because uh, that's the whole point of it. Local tournaments are not serious; they're there for people to have a good time and do some jujitsu, and that's what we try and do. Mm. Yeah, here's the last question I got. By far the best one. Okay. Now it's a bit bit of sensitive information here. This guy asked yeah. me to keep his identity secret. It's super duper secret. This question. <laughs> he says, "Ask him about the denim gi." Oh yeah, oh yeah, man. I'm pretty open about the. Den- I was expecting something way more, uh, uh, way more scandalous than that. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking those are I'm his looking, words, Link. 
I'm looking to, uh, to, to, to release a denim gear. I have a denim gear. And I'm looking to collaborate with Scramble to release a limited run, run of a lumberjacked gi. It will be denim on the outside. It will be the, uh, red and, the red and black check material on the inside. We'll have some leather patches on it, maybe. It's gonna look sick. Yeah. So you, you can look, now, not only feel good on the mats, but look good on the mats as well. Now, just to clarify, will it just look like denim or will it literally actually be made of denim? It will literally be denim. What? Bullshit. No, I, have a, I have a denim gi downstairs. Nah, I believe that you have a denim gi because no, you know that's your whole gi. thing. We're gonna release a denim. <laughs> I just, I, I just thought it would look like denim, and then no, you no, have no, stuff no. inside. It's gonna be denim. It's gonna be denim. Jesus fuck, man! I, I could just send you one. It's gonna be sick. I, I usually only wear to Tammy stuff, but like uh, you're tempting me there with the denimness. Look, we're gonna do a limited run. They're gonna get sold out very, very quickly. Mm. So yeah, I'll put a timer on. See how quick they sell out. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. 100%. Okay, so Daniel, we've reached a segment of the podcast. I like to call around the specifics. It's just a bunch okay. of random questions. Some about okay. jiu-jitsu, some aren't about jiu-jitsu. So let's go. Dude, what's... Okay, I know you do... Before, before we start, uh, are these like, is this like a lightning round? Do I have to answer quickly? Because I have a nah. bad habit of taking a long time to answer. Stuff. <laughs> nah, nah, it's, uh, it used to be a lightning round, but then okay. this segment would be an hour long then. I promise it won't be an hour long today, but like, uh, just take, take your time. It's all good. Okay. I, I know you don't train in the gi that much, but what is your favorite gi in your collection? Uh, my scramble, I believe it's called the Ichiban. I think it might have been their first gi. It's a really, really nice gi. It feels really nice, and it's got really cool kanji and my name on the back. Uh, and I still use it when I do put a gi on. Mm. I, also have a ca- I also have a Corral camo gi that I've had for many years, and that's pretty cool. And, but right now, it's probably my denim gi, even though it's just a prototype. Mm. Our man... Prototypes, you got to start somewhere. Everything starts with a prototype. I Even guarantee when, when the lumberjack denim gi comes out, that will be my favorite gi. And that will be the thing that makes me put a gi back on for at least one session. Mm. But does it have those fucking buttons that jeans would have? No, scra- they'll, scra- they'll scrape up a fucking leather couch. They're what? so annoying. No, 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 no. You can't have buttons on a gi, brother. You can't have buttons on a gi. Man, this one gi I saw had like a, on the back, they had like a plastic clip for the belt to loop through. I'm like, that's, that's so stupid. That's dumb. Three, now, get get into the. I just have a. I just have an idea. Go on. Ripped jeans, ripped key pants, <laughs> ripped denim key pants. <laughs> maybe less functional than uh, than they are aesthetic. That, but maybe. Who right. knows? Okay, how about pre-ripped? Sell them pre-ripped. Oh, that's <laughs> what. I, that's assumed. That's assuming what I thought you meant. Yeah. No, I mean like, well, get this. Why? Why would you sell pre-ripped jeans? That's that's so stupid. The whole point is that the character of it is that you rip it because they're wear and tear. Like, come on. It's lazy. It's lazy. Uh, see, I'd actually see these, um, a quick aside. It's like, uh, these people who sell weathered belts. Like, if you yeah. get a new, if you get a new belt, it's like, it's pure stiff. I, like, I call people who've just been promoted stiffies because their belts are so stiff. Yeah. Get, like, weathered belts. Like, dude, break your belt in by fucking using it or yeah. washing it every day religiously. I know this guy, he got his blue belt and then he like quit for like two years and like uh, he was barely training, but his belt looks like it's in shambles. I'm like, how, like, how is it in shambles? You barely fucking train. Yeah. And it, like, my theory is every single time he was supposed to go training, he just threw his belt in the wash. Maybe. Um, maybe he left, left. Maybe his wife was saying, go train. And he was secretly going off to have an affair. And when he came back, he threw all the gee stuff in the wash. Like, oh yeah, I, I went training, went training. Yeah. 
You might have just uh, you might have just done your mate over by the sounds of it. Ah, uh, he's an acquaintance. He's not my mate, so I don't okay. care. Oh, it's fine then. It's fine. He's only an acquaintance. How <laughs> <laughs> about uh, who would you say is the most famous person you've rolled with? Not necessarily competed against, but just like rolled with, like say record gym or something. Roger Gracie, probably. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to beat that. If you're famous, if you're talking about famous in jiu-jitsu, you know, yeah, probably Roger. Mm-hmm. Now. Can he cross collar choke you even in Nogi because he's Roger Gracie? Thankfully, thankfully not. Uh, no, no, no gi, I might have some more, a little bit more luck in the gi. It's a goddamn disaster. Oh, disaster. Dude, I, like, man, if you, if someone said to me, yeah, you have to fight Roger Gracie in like, uh, five minutes, but you can choose gi or no gi, I'm like, yeah, uh, I know I have a point zero 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 one chance of winning, but in no gi, I have a point zero zero zero. Oh no, the other way around. I've look, look. You have no, no chance. You have no chance of winning, but your the, the the loss is going to be easier to take. It's going to be yeah. a little bit less brutal no gi than it is in the gi. Yeah, that's. I'm not like I've phrased that fucking terribly because the fucking I use too many zeros and not enough zeros. Like fuck me. I said, uh, is there any movie that you would describe as underrated in your opinion? Oh, uh, a movie that's underrated. That's a that's a good question. I was not expecting that on the on the Jiu Jitsu podcast. Uh, do you know what a film that I really like uh, that doesn't get maybe as much credit as it deserves is Natural Born Killers. I love that film. Mm. I've never seen Natural Born Killers. What's the, what's the deal with it? It's a couple of Natural Born Killers. It's good. Okay, it's good. <laughs> it's, got, it's got Woody Harrelson in it, which is all you need to know. Ah, okay. I do it. Woody Harrelson's a bit weird. Get this, like it's um, super weird. Uh, get this, do you, do you know like Reddit AMAs, right? Yep. He, he done one of those one time, and it was by far the worst ever Reddit AMA in the history of Reddit because, uh, guy, he was at, he's like, okay, guys, you can ask me anything, bloody bloody blue, and whenever he did, someone ask him something, he's like, he was doing this movie called what, Radpart or something, or he's like a cop in a movie or something. Did he just, did he just promote the film every time? Yeah. He's like, okay, what was your favorite? What's your favorite role, Woody? I'd have to say it's the movie I'm doing right now, Ramparts. It's in cinemas, uh, May twenty eighth, two thousand eight, whatever you know. Like that's that's pretty much what every answer was boiled down to. I did I, I did one podcast like that. I did a podcast with a guy called um, uh, Brian Jacks. He's like an old school judo guy, and he was really famous in like the eighties on a show called Superstars. And he just released a book, and I got in contact to contact with him and did a podcast. Uh, but the answer to almost every question was, you can find out about it in my book. Uh, but, but yeah, it happens. I still enjoy the podcast. Oh man. I'm just glad none of your, uh, answers boil down to, oh yeah, you can find out about that in my Gripper series. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus fuck. Oh man, what was your favorite TV show when you were growing up? Uh, Dragon Ball Z. Oh dude. Man, who, who's your favorite, favorite character? Don't even... Who you got? Oh, it's hard, man. Probably, uh... Man, it's tough. It's tough. Because, like, obviously you've got, like, Goku's the obvious. Then, yeah. you know, Vegeta's, like, the opposite of that. Uh, do you know, when I, when I was a kid, uh, my, my, my favorite character ever was probably Kid Goku from the original Dragon Ball series. I prefer... I really, really like Dragon Ball. Uh, from Dragon Ball Z early on, I was, you know, as a kid... 
I really resonated with young Gohan, but he turned up into a bit of a pussy in the end. Um, <laughs> in terms of villains, I quite liked uh, Boo, was my favourite mm. villain. Ah, man, uh, I'm partial to Cell. I like Cell. But man, in terms of heroes and shit, Future Trunks, best character. Yes, he was a badass. He was a mm. badass. I remember, I remember watching, when he first came and fucked up Frieza after it took like an entire season for Goku to beat Frieza, and then Frieza came back, and uh, as like cyborg freezer and future trunks showed up and fucked him up in one go. That was that was that was a whole other level. So like, oh god! But then but then in the end, the trunks that we got was a bit of a pussy as well. Well, man, he didn't grow up in an apocalyptic scenario, so like you know that. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, it makes us appreciate future trunks way more. That's true. That is true. <clears throat> uh, but also. You you know, I know Gohan turned out to be a pussy as well in the the main timeline, but future Gohan was a badass. Even with one fucking arm, he was the best. Yeah, that is true. That mm. is true. And then uh, Dragon Ball Super. I like Goku Black. He's, I, I haven't like watched... I have not watched Super yet. Everyone keeps on telling me that I need to watch Super. I Man, the future <laughs> trunks arc with Goku Black in it is so, it's a great... It's so great. Okay, I need to check it out. At some point, I'll, I'll do it. Look do. into it, bro. I will, I will, I will. I will. I need to wait for <coughs> something right, oh, What would you say is your most embarrassing injury, whether it be jiu-jitsu injury, non-jiu-jitsu injury, just the way you got embarrassed was so fucking... The way you got injured was so fucking ridiculous. Uh, most embarrassing injury. Um, all of my injuries have been pretty undramatic, to be honest with you. i tell you what. I thought something was an embarrassing injury, but it turned out that I didn't injure myself. But I'll tell the story anyway. So I was on, I'm not sure whether you know or not, I was on UK Ninja Warrior. Oh, yeah. I saw your audition tape the other day when I was looking into some stuff to show someone. I thought it was just a joke, but you actually were on it. Yeah, it was a joke, but I was on it. And it was a joke when I was on it. Uh, and I was on there twice, actually. I was on two episodes. And on the second episode, I uh, fell on the jump hang, on the trampoline, onto the thing. And I, like, grabbed it. To, uh, the, the story is actually worse. I, because <laughs> I was kind of taking the piss the whole time, uh, I got to the bit before the jump hang, this trampoline into this big uh, cargo net, and I stopped, turned to the audience, about 800 people there, and I just forced them all to do, to do like a clap. And, and, and it was taking them a little while, but I was adamant. They kind of cut a little bit of it. They cut out the middle bit in the episode. You can't see how long it took. But I was like, I'm not going to jump this thing until everyone's clapping. Civilization. So oh, once I got everyone clapping, I like gave the nod. <laughs> and I jumped up and I grabbed on and I just went straight head first, like literally arse over tip, head first into the freezing water. And I thought... I had a really bad shoulder injury in the following year, and I thought that I'd injured my shoulder do, trying to do the jump hang, but it turned out that I just injured it on doing jiu-jitsu. But had it had it got injured on Ninja Warrior, that would have that would have rivaled almost any other embarrassing injury. Because well, it was on fucking national television. It was on national television. It's pretty. It's pretty embarrassing. Yeah. Man, I wouldn't mind going on Ninja Warrior. I think that'd be fun. It's that'd gone now. There's no more UK Ninja Warrior. Ah, dude. Gutted. Gutted. Man, I seen a guy dressed as Vegeta going on to Ninja Warrior one time. He had the right idea. Yeah. Ah, mm. uh, dude. Uh, if you could ban one guard or position from competition, what would it be and why? Fifty-fifty is boring. Mm. How about like a time limit on fifty-fifty? Say you can 
have 50-50 for 20 seconds and just... Zero seconds. Zero? How about two seconds? Zero. Not interested. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not interested. Jesus, man. Who hurts you with the 50-50? Why do you hate it so much? What? That's the problem. Oh, no one. It's just because they boring, just fall. It's a boring position, yeah. Mm. Boring, get rid of it. Jesus, fuck. <laughs> can, can you do any impressions? Of? Of just any impressions at all? Of, of anyone. <laughs> yeah? Um, I've been working, I've actually been working on one of my impressions lately. Do you ever see uh, Trailer Park Boys? I have not. Oh, dude, if you ever see Trailer Park Boys, it's like this uh, mentally ill guy called Bubbles, but ironically, he's actually like the smartest guy in the show because everyone else around him is a fucking idiot. Yeah. But like, he's like really smart, but like, um, he talks and he has like the big glasses and he talks in a weird way. So uh, I'll do the impression real quick. Like, just. Yeah, you're all good for Sorry. It's fucking Ricky, fucking Julian over there. Go get fucking arrested. I tell you, look that up, and that's actually a good. I've listened back to it, and I've worked worked on it. It it sounds like you put a lot of work into it, but I can't appreciate it because I don't get the reference. Hmm. Ah, well, I can kind of do, let's see, Schmiegel, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I used to be able to do a really good Bernardo Faria, but I've sort of slacked in it lately. Okay. Hey yeah, guys, you want it for me? You know, I, I don't like it's that one. Good. It's, pretty good. Nah, it's, it's not good. good because I listen to Bernardo a lot, so I know in my heart of heart that it doesn't okay. sound like him. Okay. Sounds Brazilian, but yeah. not his Brazilian. Good enough. <clears throat> ah, you know. Uh, dude. Oh, yeah. Before I forget, why, why are you called the Raspberry Ape anyway? Like, what, what's the what's the scare? Nah, I'm glad that you asked, actually. No one's asked me this before. You know that. Mm. Like, I got onto this part about the nicknames. I'm like, why is he called that anyway? So, it goes back a long time. When I was a, a very young kid, I was about three or four years old, I can't remember exactly, I uh, I was at a zoo with my parents, and uh, being the mischievous small child that I was, I fell into a gorilla enclosure. And obviously everyone freaked out, you know, they thought that this gorilla is going to come up to me and it's going to rip me apart, and this little kid... Uh, and the, the warden goes and he goes to get a gun. Apparently they couldn't tranquilize it, they just had to shoot it. If you tranquilize it, you might make it angry and the tranquilizer doesn't kick in straight away, so they'd kind of be more danger. They were gonna, they were gonna kill this gorilla. And some, one of the guys who was sort of watching this go down, sort of quick thinking, had some raspberries that he was eating and he threw them into the enclosure to sort of distract him. <clears throat> Little did he know, just, uh, by a lot of luck, um, the, the, this gorilla loved raspberries and he went over there and sort of left me alone and gave them enough space that they could jump in and rescue me without having to kill the gorilla and that is sort, sort of something that stuck with me for many years and when I was asked uh, do I have a nickname that's all I thought of I thought of the raspberry ape jeez man that's fuck that sounds like Harambe but before Harambe why didn't they just throw raspberries into that enclosure that would have sorted out that's what I'm saying that's mm. what I'm saying. If only, if only they knew. Yeah. Ah, uh, you know. Oh man, like what's this? How the fuck do you end up in a gorilla enclosure anyway? Like what the fuck? <laughs> it's not. That's not a true story, right? Ah man. Say so what? It's not, it's not. That's not a true story. That is the Harambe story. It's not, my interpretation. Harambe, it's, the Harambe it's my, was real one. What's that? The Harambe one was true though, wasn't it? Yeah, the Harambe one is true. Yeah, yeah. My my story is not true, but it's it's just the, it's just one of the many stories that I tell when people ask the question. Oh, dude, I like that. Like, uh, did you ever see like The Simpsons? Right? Uh huh. Do you know that guy Herman who has one arm? Yeah. Do you have uh, a different story for how he lost the arm? Yeah. Every time. 
Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I got my arm ripped off by a school bus. That, that, that's that's kind bus. of that is kind of the situation, yeah. Mm. Or the other time he lost in the war, or uh, the other time, uh, I can't remember the other time he got a, a, a dog catching mobile ran over his arm or something. Yeah. That dude, reminds me. Who? Like, do you know the the, the saying? Uh, he couldn't get elected dog catcher. I I've never heard that saying. Is that an Irish saying? No, I think that's like an American one. It's like, he couldn't get elected dog catcher. I'm like, okay. There's a government fucking job where they catch dogs? I think that there is in America. (laughs) Ah, well, uh... If if Disney films are anything to go by. (laughs) They're always always very evil. Uh, Anything from the movies. Mm. Fair enough, my man. See, that's it. If you could time travel to any historical period, where would you go and why? Man, that is a fucking great question. That is a that's a whole nother question. Man, mind, that, mind you, you don't have to stay there. You can visit stuff, and if you change something, it won't affect your timeline. It'll create a new timeline, so you can do it consequence free. But I only get to travel to one time. Yeah, you get like you get enough for a trip and a return. Do you know what? It's it's there's so many to choose from here. Like I'd love to go and watch like a gladiatorial match in 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 sort of ancient Rome. You know, I'd love to see, you know, I'd love to travel to, um, you know, if it did actually happen, there's some debate whether it happened, but I'd love to travel to sort of, uh, the, 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 the Aegean to the Troy and watch the, the sacking of Troy or just before the sacking of Troy as it happened. You know, I'd love to go to Egypt and see, uh, indeed how the pyramids were made. So, <clears throat> very, very hard question to ask or maybe, uh, I don't know, go, go, go to the Mongol Empire, sort of 1200s and, uh, watch Genghis take over the world, basically. I don't know, man. It's a, it's a, it's a very good question. Mm. Man, I say if they had you helping with the pyramids, it would have gotten it done a bit fucking quicker. <laughs> Who knows? They might, they might be a bit higher. Maybe. It might be a little bit higher. That's right. <laughs> oh, man, have you ever been on a really terrible date? <laughs> oh. Yeah, sure. I've been on loads. Uh, do you know what? I've never been on. I've never been on one that was like that was story worthy. Basically, I'm very charming, so obviously I can always kind of pull it around. But sort of the worst dates that I've ever been on are just uh, quite boring and I'm not really interested in the individual. And then you kind of have one drink and go home. So yeah, no, no. Unfortunately, no good stories there. Need to up mm. my game. Oh man, they don't grapple. They don't do grip training. Fuck them anyway. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> For the most part, I kind of stick away from, uh, um, for the most part. It's not, uh, being, doing jiu-jitsu or, or lifting is not a prerequisite. Hmm. Uh, but you can get them into it later if all goes well. That's a, that's a long game. I don't know. I don't know about that, mate. <laughs> I don't know uh, about each, each of their own. I mean, now, what's your favourite song to roll to if you have one? Oh, man. Uh... You just got a list of encyclopedic knowledge. Oh yeah, this by Tool, that by Def Leppard. No, you know that's what? There's, there's loads of songs. You know, I used to have. Um, I used to roll to a lot of Prodigy. Uh, I used to roll to a lot of Chase and Status, uh, Rage Against the Machines, um, and then some more classic rock stuff, some Metallica and some Zeppelin and stuff like that. So it depends on your mood. It depends how you want to roll. I'll put I'll put different songs on for how I want to roll. If I want to roll really intense, if I want to roll a little bit slower. Um, so yeah, yeah. There's, there's a couple of different options there. Mm. Yeah, I like rolling to 80 cent and shit. I think that's good shit. Like, yeah, if, you, yeah, yeah. if you ever played the game uh, Hotline Miami, I roll nice. to the soundtrack of that. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, have you heard Magic Sword? No. Yeah, check out Magic Sword. 
Magic sword. Yeah. Uh, one of the good ones. I like Ronson to the police. Like uh, I oh. always, th- I always make sure I start off with the song Roxanne. I love that okay. song. That gets you going. Well, dude, the fucking opening riff for that is so decent. It's like it is sick. I, I can't hum it now, or I'll probably get copyright strikes because <laughs> I'm very unlucky. But you, you know the one I'm on about. I really, I really like the the idea that if you hummed a song, it would sound so good that it would be flagged yeah. as copyright issue. Yeah, dude, I'm such a talented hummer. Yeah, you know. No, well, after after your impression, I actually that might be true. <laughs> yeah, the one impression that you don't even know if it's accurate because you didn't watch the show. For all, for, for all I know, it could sound like, you could. For all you know, it could sound like shit. It could yeah, be. Yeah, great. It's fucking piss and rain again, man. It was pure fucking windy last night. It's annoying the shit out of me. It's hard to sleep with <laughs> the fucking bullshit going on. Oh, man, do you have a favorite uh, philosophical quote? Wow, uh, favorite philosophical quote. Um, I don't know if I do. It's a good question. I've never been asked that question before. Uh, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where, when it comes to philosophy, it's a, a, a sort of moment by moment thing. You'll be reminded of a specific quote when said quote would, um, uh, when said quote would be would be necessary or contextual. So uh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I actually have two. I, I coined and created two like uh, jujitsu quotes, if you would. So, 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 so the question wasn't like actually a quote by a philosopher. The quote was just by any like something that you made up and yeah, you you can make it up if you want. Oh. But if you if you like heard something and you internalize it, and you like sort okay. of. Re- yeah, but if yeah, you yeah. if you've made something up, that's cool as well. Sure. You mentioned yeah, that. I still don't have. No, you you can tell me yours. Uh, uh, don't start a leg fight. You can't leg win. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh, the first, second one, which is actually like serious and poignant a bit. It's like, uh, <clears throat> I'd rather have a bad day on the mats than a good day off them, because, you know, that's my thing. Yep, I like it. Uh, those are the only two ones I came up with. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, uh, you know, a good one now, I'm thinking of that. Kind of just rules, I think yours were maybe less philosophical quotes and more rules for life, so I guess uh, never trust the fault. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Jesus, fuck, man. I tell you, once you have a few to uh, one close call, you'll you'll learn not to trust the fart. Anyone who tells you that that quote is someone who's learned it firsthand. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. (laughs) Uh, But like, uh, while we're talking about the philosophical thing, like I had. uh, (laughs) While we're talking about farts. Well, dude, farts and philosophy are usually uh, aren't mutually exclusive. There's lots of overlap. Because I had a guy on the podcast, uh, Robert Deagle, he's a brown belt uh, under John Dan, and he was, you know, philosophy major for a while. Really? He's like, yeah, there's a lot of navel gazing in philosophy and academia, so like, uh, farts and philosophy aren't too uh, separated. Okay. okay. Plus, he actually pointed out something to you one time, which I think is very cool. Like, in like, you know, like all these ancient Greek philosophers and shit, right? They used to like yeah. they—they're all wrestlers and grapplers and shit as well. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Like because like the way they categorized the genius back then, like the way they'd consider someone a genius is if they're at the peak of their physical ability and mental ability. So you know, if you were really smart and physically like extraordinary, that would be what a genius would be considered as. Yeah, I th- and I think that's something that we sort of miss out on in. Um in sort of modern society, which is you're either a jock or a nerd, and there's sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, intellectuals will look down upon athletes as 
meatheads and meatheads may, you know, athletes may look at intellectuals as, uh, as nerds or something like that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, absolutely that there, there is a connection between the two. I think that, um, I think that doing the sport and doing exercise and perfecting your body and eating healthy and, and being healthy is only going to, uh, help any sort of cognitive, uh, function. It's not going to diminish it. So I think those two do go hand in hand quite well. Mm. Plus, wouldn't you trust your doctor a bit more if he was ripped? A hundred percent. hundred percent. He wouldn't prescribe you any of this fucking, uh, what's it, uh, placebo shit. He's like, just lift, bro. <laughs> yeah, just lift. That's it. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Uh, we got a bit of a moral conundrum here if you're up for okay. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. It's like, uh, would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger? Um... A good question. Uh, I would probably I'd solve world hunger. Mm. I'd solve world hunger. Mm. Uh, I always say this when people choose the world hunger: maybe one of the hungry kids will grow up to cure cancer, so you get a two for one deal. Now, wouldn't that be beautiful? Uh, uh, yeah, I think I think I think well, sort of world hunger is sort of a little bit more tragic as a sort of systemic issue than uh, sort of isolated cases of cancer. I think. Um, yeah, ch- ch- children should be going malnourished anywhere in the world. So, yeah, I definitely go with the hunger thing. Mm. That's it. Plus, one of the things I was thinking about, like, I always bring this up. Imagine, like, if cancer just suddenly disappeared, like, overnight, let's just say, just for the sake of argument. I think it, I think, I think that there's a good chance that it can with the research that we're going through and sort of technological advances in medicine. Mm. I think that's not impossible. Oh, no, but imagine this. If yeah. that did happen, so many people would be out of work because of all these cancer researchers and the cancer uh, charities and stuff, they'd be like, well, fuck, uh, <laughs> we don't have jobs anymore. I know that's, that's a cynical way to look at it, but, like, think about this. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm. No, see, oh, this is a good one. In your professional opinion, do you think you could pull off a handlebar mustache? Uh, Yeah. Mm. The problem with me having a moustache is I've got the white thing, so you can't really see it so well, so I kind of need the full beard. And what's the deal with the white thing? Are you just aging rapidly in that one little area? <laughs> so, so you usually, like the uh, story about my nickname, I usually have an equally elaborate story about my moustache. Yeah. I've already given you one, so I'm not going to bother with it. Uh, yeah. it's, just a, it's just a uh, it's a pigmented, it, you know, it's just a... Uh, it's, it, I call it a birthmark because it's simple, but it's not a birthmark. I, I, I didn't have it when I was born. Uh, but the skin under it is white and the hair above it grows white. And I have it on my eyebrow, my eyelash, my moustache and my cheek. Dude, imagine if it were like went, it was like a full 50, se- 50 separation, like half your hair was white and half was brown. Yeah, well, like it's, it's something called vitiligo and it, it is a uh, asymmetrical version. So I only have it on one side. But I'm very lucky because I don't, you know, a lot of people with vitiligo do have their sort of entire face and body covered. So I've just got a small bit and it makes me, um, the disadvantages is that, uh, people think that I've done cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> and the advantages is that I'm a bit more, um, uh, unique and people can tell me apart a little bit easier. Mm. A few people, uh, a few people have been like, I didn't recognize you and then I saw the white mustache and I knew it was you. <laughs> oh man, I like when uh, English people say mustache, mustache, mustache. Like, how do you say, the same mustache? Mustache. Yeah, I like the sort of arsh, like the enunciation of that. Like that's it's it's, it's uh, how the word is said. I know. It's just, <laughs> I just like the way you say it. Like it's cool. Yeah. Oh, man, if you if you became, if you became a president of Earth, what's the first sort of uh, law you'd enact? 
Wow. Um, <laughs> I can do anything. Uh, I'd make, I'd make jiu-jitsu mandatory. No, I, mandatory jiu-jitsu. I, I ain't too big into that because, you know, I don't know. I think well, if you want... It'd be cool and niche, right? Yeah. Not like, okay. yeah, I, I grapple. You know, but if everyone does it, then like, you know, we'll see now. Yeah, and uh, no, no, no. On, on a serious note, I would probably, um, uh, I don't know. It's it's a really tough one. I think I think the world's really kind of fucked up at the moment, and I think a big a big problem with it is sort of uh, technology and social media and stuff like that. So maybe I try and uh, maybe I try and take control of that. But obviously, there's a lot of much easier things that you could do, like curing world hunger and stuff like that. Uh, president of the world, yeah, you can do whatever you want. I'd probably, I'd probably ban Instagram and Facebook though. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Just Facebook. <laughs> Even as someone who loves Instagram, I don't know, man. There's too much. Uh, I don't know. I watched the Social Dilemma, and now I'm having real, <laughs> having real issues with it. Uh, I say, like, one of the things I would do was make make it illegal for all these companies to harvest your metadata and sell it to fucking cor- ad corporations and shit. I'd make that illegal, hundred thousand percent. Do you know what? Uh, I think that is the smallest issue when it comes to social media. Well, man, I think data harvesting is a tiny issue mm. when, it, when it comes to the sort of grander scheme of things. So sort of the mm. divisiveness that we're seeing in, in society at the moment uh, and the, the sort of acceleration in opposite di- directions of the uh, opinion spectrum and sort of the aggression, aggressiveness that goes with it. I think it's really sad. I think it's really dangerous. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I don't want to end <laughs> this podcast on a downer. <laughs> no, don't uh, worry, because the, the last question is very, uh, yeah. what's this? Oh, yeah, we're actually at the last question here, and it's, same, you know, it's a bit uh, lighthearted or jovial a bit. What would you say your jiu-jitsu spirit animal is? And if you say a raspberry ape, I'm going <laughs> to scream. I'm going to go ape shit. <laughs> it, it would be. It would be. There's a reason that I'm called the raspberry ape, and I do have an affinity for the simi kind. Uh, yeah, I'd go with a, a, a chimpanzee or a gorilla probably because, you know, for me, <clears throat> I, I guess at the end of the day, I could go into a, a long philosophical tale and an explanation about my nickname and the, and the symbolism or representation of it. Uh, but at the end of the day, the big thing that people forget is that humans are apes. You know, we are part of the same family that, you know, that, that there's like five apes, which are gorillas, chimpanzees, bonobos, uh, orangutans, and humans. They are the five great apes. So we actually technically, when you say raspberry ape, you don't think of a human, but, uh, technically it can be. Um, and I think that they're the greatest in the animal kingdom, the greatest representation of physical prowess with, uh, in, in, sort of, uh, Cognitive capacity and intelligence as well. So for me, uh, being being having being strong and smart is, is is the best combination. I think nothing else captures that as good as a chimpanzee or gorilla, mm. apart from human. Mm. Oh man, I get you. Like uh, it's like that's why I call my podcast the Humanzee Jitsi you Humanzee. You're on the you're on the same uh, you're on the same page for sure. Ah, uh, but I'm like a weird weird hybrid, like human chimp guy. Yeah. And plus, like, uh, I always try to freak people out while we're rolling by making gorilla noises and doing the chest fucking smash and, like, slamming on the hands on the mat when in between rounds. I like that freaking works. people out. That works. That sounds, uh, I'll be prepared for that if we ever hit the mats together. Uh, well, no shit, you're a black belt and I'm a, and you're a really good black belt and I'm just a, a no-name blue belt, so I don't think my gorilla noises are really gonna help. If I didn't know about it, it might throw me off for a second. 
Okay, uh, I'll bust out some new moves and maybe... Yeah, tell me about it now. So I'll, I'll be ready. scary I'll be war ready. dance or something. I'll be ready for it. Okay. <laughs> okay, so guys, we reached the end of the podcast. And if you want to listen to... Oh, sorry, if you want to follow Daniel on any social media, it's the, at the Raspberry Ape on Instagram. Like, it'll be linked in the description anyway. If you want to check out his gripping series, that'll be in the description as well, of course. And like I said... It's Ape Strong 25 for 25% off a checkout. Is that correct? Yeah, use it quickly, though, because I'm probably going to take it down next Monday. Okay, so guys, the fucking, uh, the race is on. You better you fucking... Can, you, can, you can find it, uh, sort of, at ro- uh, where mm. it's at. Ah, you know, it'll be, it'll be linked anyway in the description. Yes, yeah, So, like, uh, so, Dan, do you have anything to say before we shoot off? Thank you very much for having me on, and anyone who's listened, uh, thank you very much for listening. I always appreciate it. Okay, so guys, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Follow Atumenzi Jitsu, Atumenzi Jitsu Podcast, Con Gracie, Shawnee Judo Jitsu, those are my co-hosts on certain other episodes. So guys, thanks for listening. Oops.